Welcome back to another episode of The, the Mentor. Welcome is, back. Welcome back. Thanks for interrupting me, Sergey, yet again. This is Vadim. And Sergey, the interrupter. And this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite having lack of experience, money, or connections. Sometimes all three, sometimes one or the other. Point is... It's never easy, and most people that get started, they have a lot going against them, and we love to tell you stories of how they're able to overcome that. And actually, quite honestly, I'm glad that you brought this up. You know, some people think, oh, other people are getting ahead because they have all the connections in the world, or they had a head start because of uh, some financial input or injection. The true entrepreneurs that are able to make things work are able to take advantage of these opportunities, but by no means do these opportunities make them a great entrepreneur. It's still difficult to realize your dream. If you've ever gotten an introduction, for example, let's say you're looking for a job and you had somebody refer you to that job and you got an interview, did you get the job? No, you still have to prove yourself throughout the interview process. And so even if you do have connections, even if you do have some kind of leg up, as you can tell by now, through all the stories that we've been telling you, it's still incredibly difficult. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to our other episodes. Every single entrepreneur that we've had on the show started with some sort of disadvantage and they were able to overcome it. Nonetheless, let's jump right into this week's topic, which is the three books that literally changed our perspective on our lives. And, and the reason why I say that is because Sergey and I... Uh, don't read all of the same books, but whenever one of us comes across a book that is really impactful, we obviously recommend it to the other, and then both of us end up reading it, and then we end up discussing it, and it's a fun to have a conversation about it. And there are three books in particular that stand out, and I'll give you all three of them right now, and then we'll jump into why they impacted our lives. And I want to also add that Vadim and I were not big readers growing up. Our parents, being the Eastern European immigrants that they were, forced us to read both in Russian and in English when we came to the States so that we would, you know, be educated. It's sort of a cliche. You got to read to be smart, I guess. But it's something that we forced ourselves to do, honestly, uh, at school and at home. And it wasn't until later in college, and especially right after graduating college, where we weren't being forced to read and we started to read based on our own interest and we fell in love with it. And now I know I read almost every single day. I think Vadim does the same, right, Vadim? Yeah, and you know what? It's really easy to come up with excuses why you shouldn't do it, but nowadays you have audiobooks, you have ebooks where you don't have to carry around a bunch of books and hard copies. So really do try to carve out some points in your day, whether it's throughout your commute or even, let's say, if you fly once a month, uh, you can easily uh, finish a whole book during a flight, especially if it's a longer flight, uh, or just listen to an audiobook during your commute. I, I find that that's really helpful as well. Let me actually give you one more reason to read, because I think it's so easy to hear the advice of you should be reading more, but then not internalizing it. Ideas, good ideas for businesses, good ideas for ways that you could grow your business or whatever thing that you want to create, they don't come out of nowhere. When you read stories about other creators, about entrepreneurs, that's when your brain gets new ideas. That's when your perspective shifts and changes to something that you otherwise wouldn't consider. So reading is really important to essentially change your perspective on something that you assumed was the truth because it shows you that oftentimes that thing that you assumed is not actually reality. And even, believe it or not, reading fiction can have the same exact effect. Uh, Sergey and I go to a lot of networking events, and you'd be surprised where 
this happens all the time where I'll read, let's say, a piece of fiction, and then a week later, I'll be at an event, and for some reason, something comes up that makes it relevant for me to bring up something that I learned in the book. And so you might think, oh, when am I actually going to use this knowledge that I'm picking up in whatever fiction or nonfiction piece that I'm reading? But time and time again, I've been able to point to this knowledge when it's freshest in my head and bring it up in conversation, and it actually helps you contribute and obviously sound more intelligent, so that's a great little smart. You seem smart. You seem smart. Uh, like Mackie Mac, like Mackie Mac. Well, and that, that's that's the thing. Half the things that we mention in classes that we teach, in articles that we write, whether it's for Forbes or whoever else, it comes from something we've read somewhere that then sparks another idea. Nothing comes just solely from your own brain. That's impossible. So to be someone that's more knowledgeable and that can add value, like Vadim said in conversations, you got to read a little bit more. So the three books we're going to be talking about today are How to Win Friends and Influence People by none other than Dale Carnegie, Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. You would think it's something that has to do with literally losing your virginity, which I guess he does talk about that in the book. He does a lot, yeah. our takeaway was not really from that part of it. It is a spicy book, spicy meatballs. Uh, but uh, the last book is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So even if you've read these books, uh, we have some interesting takeaways that hopefully you can apply to your everyday life and make it a little bit better and get closer to whatever goal you're trying to accomplish. So the first book we're going to talk about is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I remember my mother telling us about this book when we were much younger uh, in high school, and she wanted us to read it. We did not, because <laughs> like, like Sergey said, we were late bloomers. So I think she would read us some excerpts from it in Russian. This book has been translated in probably almost every language known to man. And it is one of the most printed and republished books in uh, publishing history. Uh, it was originally written in the beginning of the 1900s by Dale Carnegie, who taught a bunch of classes around similar subjects of how to motivate people, how to get business people to be better, how to communicate better, and the like. So a wide range of topics, but clearly a very accomplished author. And so finally in college, I picked up the book, and so did Sergey. And since then... It's probably the only book that I, A, recommend to almost every single person that I meet, and B, that I've reread more than three or four times. And I'm not saying reread in its entirety. Sometimes you can, this is one of those books where you can pick it up, jump right in the middle, and get something valuable out of it. But it is by far the only book where I was really left wanting to go back and revisit the stories and the teachings that Dale Carnegie provided. And I know that you and I apply principle from this book in our everyday lives without even thinking about it at this point, which is how you know that the message of the book is so valuable. And Dale Carnegie, the reason why he has credibility and why he built up that credibility in the early 1900s when he was doing his work is he made it his mission to study entrepreneurs like Charles Schwab, for example, or... Who else? I think it was basically the top business people in the world, the magnets, in the magnates, magnets, <laughs> in the early 1900s. He studied them for decades and he learned what they did to succeed. And he boiled that down to one book that any of us could read. The most important lesson learned in that book, uh, and I mean, he literally, the, the title is How to Win Friends and Influence People. So obviously, the intent there is to provide takeaways to people on how they can be more likable and build their network and essentially grow their relationships. That is the main thesis. And the primary takeaway there is it's not all about you. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. In order to 
build a wealth of people around you that like you, you need to make sure that you make it about them and get out of your own head. And that's incredibly difficult to do. We as human me- human men and women, uh, children really, all and of us, children, everybody, we live our own heads, in our own heads. We think that we're the most important thing. I mean, literally, I'm sure you've had this experience where you walk down the street and you see somebody and you think, oh yeah, I'm so much cooler than them. Or is that just me? <laughs> uh, no, I think all of us have that a little bit of that narcissism in us. Hopefully, if you if you like yourself, I guess. I, don't I know. mean, that's why he wrote this book, and it resonated with so many people. Is you know, we we tend to have a bias towards how awesome we are, and nobody else in the world matters, right? But once you realize that that's exactly how everybody else is going about their lives, it kind of changes perspective as to how you should approach different situations. And one of the things that stood out in the book, he was talking about this gala that he went to where there were a lot of influential people and he was at a table and the conversation turned to politics and of course whenever that happens there's always disagreements and this one particular woman started talking to him and everything that she said he vehemently disagreed with uh, and him being Dale Carnegie but his lesson there was his goal for the event was to be liked by people and to build more relationships not to prove that he was right and to bring somebody on his own side. And so instead of arguing with her about the political beliefs that she had, he would simply agree and nod and look into her eyes and just look interested. And by the end of the night, people were coming up to him saying how interesting of a person he was and how exciting he was to talk to and how insightful he is. And all he did was listen. It's kind of crazy that the effect of this when you listen to somebody and agree with them and you know don't make it a point to just prove that you're right. Most people just want to prove in a conversation that they're right and everyone goes away feeling pretty crappy about that conversation. But have you ever had someone after talking to them for a while or later on in the day tell you, wow, that was such a great conversation. You're thinking to yourself, really? That was a great conversation? I didn't really think that, but okay, that's awesome. The reason why they thought it was a great conversation is because you were inquisitive, you showed, you were agreeable with them, and you showed an interest in them, their opinion, and their lives, and you made them feel good ultimately, and they walked away thinking that was one of the best conversations they've had. So goes to show, it really does work. And if you're ever talking to somebody you might notice that when they're talking to you, they're incredibly passionate and excited. And when you start talking, sometimes you see that they look away or they start thinking about something else. And that's because, let's face it, everybody likes hearing themselves talk more. It's just how it is, uh, which is really important to think about when you're building these relationships. So what I learned and the biggest takeaway for me is if you really want to connect with others, uh, you have to work towards truly understanding them instead of worrying about yourself. And this stuck with me and I applied it to my relationships, my conversations with friends, the professional relationships that I was building. And literally, since I read this in college, it stayed with me throughout, through every interaction that I've had. That's how impactful this is. And this is how much it it sort of changed my behavior. And the biggest takeaway for me was that if you want to convince someone of your point of view, it's not a matter of winning an argument, but rather showing the other side that you empathize with their beliefs. And this not only helps in job negotiations or trying to get a coworker to do something that you think is right, it can change your approach to pretty much everything. Even let's say when you're negotiating a fee of some sort that you weren't supposed to get or a credit card fee or cable bill, whatever it might be, you know, we sort of get that default of being confrontational and saying, hey, I'm going to escalate this. Let me talk to your boss and you're wrong. That's not going to motivate somebody to, to work on your behalf making them understand 
why you're in this predicament, trying to get them to relate to you, maybe by, you know, showing that you're on their same side as them. And basically not being confrontational, but being someone that seeks to understand, that's when people want to go at bat for you, essentially. They want to help you out, not when you're trying to force them to do something. Exactly. So next time something crappy happens and you have an impulse to argue with somebody to try to prove that you're right, try to do the exact opposite. Empathize with them. Make them feel like it's not their fault. Whether you're negotiating with a vendor or arguing over your electric bill or whatever it is. Do we even do people even argue over electric bills anymore? What's an electric bill? Let's say cable bill, because those cable those guys are less interesting. <laughs> Fine. Uh, well, people have cable internet, but whatever it is, right? We have an impulse to argue, but recognize that that's not going to be productive. Be nice, basically, instead, and you'll see how magically things start to kind of go in your favor, and it's almost like a game. It's it's quite beautiful. So that's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Definitely put that on your to-read list. The next book that I'm so excited to talk about is Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. It is an autobiography that he wrote in the 90s after Virgin was already a very successful brand, and he walks you through essentially his entire life. He started his first business when he was 15 years old, which is pretty crazy, and with his parents' blessing after proving that he was willing to do the hard work, he actually dropped out of high school, and he was a millionaire by his 20s and a billionaire by, I think, by his 30s or late 30s at least. Such a crazy book to read. It really does read like a fiction, almost like you're reading about like a James Bond-esque character. Some of the things you're wondering, is it even real? But it is. There are a lot of really cool takeaways, and I, I still get, sometimes when I lack motivation, I'll open up that book and I'll read about Richard and it makes me think, damn, like I, if he could do it, I could do it as well. It's one of those books that's really fun to read. You won't regret it. The biggest takeaway for me from that book is Richard's ability to say yes to challenges, even if he had no idea how he would actually execute on it. And actually, that's a trait that a lot of strong entrepreneurs have is they don't worry too much about how they're going to get something done. They're worried about getting the opportunity, saying yes, and then figuring out things along the way. So essentially getting rid of that natural fear that we have of failing on something and you know, by saying yes to somebody else, you automatically make yourself accountable that you have to deliver on it. And then hopefully the rest of what you figure out, if, if not, then the worst thing that can happen is, well, you failed, you can try again something else. And if you've listened to the show before, you know that Sergey and I always push on that theme. Say yes to as many opportunities as you can. Try to avoid that part of your brain that wants to tell you, don't do it. It's too risky. Just say yes. And this is where we learned it by reading Richard Branson in our early 20s and realizing, wow, you don't have to have experience to start something. That's just an excuse for the most part. Just go for it. Say yeah. yes. And that's why we actually say in the intro of our episode, despite lack of experience, money, or connection, experience is a big one. A lot of people use that as an excuse to not try something. Richard didn't let that stop him. When he was 15 years old, he had the idea of starting a magazine for students that would talk about topics and issues that students really cared about. He saw that there was a gap in the market for that. He probably didn't call it a gap in the market when he was 15, but nonetheless, he saw an opportunity. And obviously, to fund a magazine, especially in the 60s in the UK, you need to be able to get advertisers, right? Um, you, you can't just make money off of selling issues. You need to actually get ads on it. So how did 15, 16-year-old Richard get advertisers for his magazine? He went to the payphone. That was a thing back then. And he started cold calling. And he cold called the biggest brands and eventually he landed on Coca-Cola. And he told Coca-Cola, listen, 
Uh, I'm talking to Pepsi right now, and they're about to buy an ad spot in our magazine. Uh, actually, he said a full page uh, spread. Yeah. He was going for the big <laughs> chalupa. So he was. He knew there was a big company that they had money to spend, and he essentially uh, used the fear of missing out technique by telling them that Pepsi was about to buy a full page spread. Do they want to beat them to the punch? Do they want to buy ad space in a magazine? And that way, by essentially pinning these big juggernauts against each other, he was able to get Coca-Cola to agree to be one of the first advertisers in this student-run magazine. And he also called Pepsi and told them the same thing so that when these executives were talking to each other, they could confirm that, oh, okay, I guess we're both interested in, in advertising in this little magazine. And I shouldn't say executives, it was probably just sales reps, but still. So they ran that magazine for a while. They started doing mail order of records, selling records to the magazine as well. That's how he got into the music business as still a teenager. And they decided to open a physical location for a music store. This is somebody that's 19, 20 years old opening up a music store in London, England without really any experience ever of doing such a thing. Well, they were able to, first of all, find a great location by scouting out and seeing where there was the most foot traffic at a, at a location that would be relatively low cost. And then they got this person who had a shoe store to agree to rent the, the bottom floor of the shoe store that wasn't really being used anyway for anything productive to them at a very, very low cost. And it ended up being one of the most popular music stores in the country because they had a cool vibe where you could go hang out, listen to music, no expectation of having to buy something. You could be there literally all day, kind of like people do at coffee shops now. That didn't exist in the 60s in the UK. And they ended up growing from one location to a dozen locations and then ended up starting a record label. And the rest is history. That's how Virgin was started. But the, that big takeaway of Richard saying, yes, yes, I'll start a, a student magazine and get top advertisers and guests on the magazine. Yes, I'll open up a shoe store. Yes, I'll, I'll start a record label, even though I don't really know any musicians, and I'll figure it out later. That's what helped him succeed. He ended up starting dozens of businesses throughout his life. He is in his 60s now. He's still starting new businesses. He has a space company now, space exploration company. And so that, to me, was a huge motivator. It taught Vadim and I to always say yes, even if we're a little bit worried about whether we could actually make something happen or not. Richard's story is incredible. We urge you to go and pick it up and, and read the story because there's a lot of gaps there. He had uh, some help along the way. He had a lot of uh, issues as well from getting arrested to almost losing his deals with some of the celebrity musicians that he was bringing on his record label at the manor that he created in the studio. He uh, started an airline company that almost failed as well. There, there's just so many incredible stories actually similar to Jackie Chan's story that we told in last week's episode where he just continued to persevere over and over again and saying yes to things. So pick up a copy of that. Pick up a coffee. Pick up... <laughs> Pick up a cup of papa. Beepity boppity. Pick up a copy of that book today. We're not getting any affiliate links through it, but um, no, we should. Hey, Richard, should. if you're listening, uh, if you want to partner, no. But I'll actually give you an example of how we've taken advantage of this approach. We started this podcast in January. A few months later, about six months later, I had the opportunity to take over the New York City podcast meetup that had about 600 members. And I knew that, you know, this was a an event, essentially, a meetup where I would have to organize events every month, every other month, and it's a good amount of work. I didn't exactly know how I would do that, how I would grow the group, but I said yes. I took over the group, and I started hosting our first event, so I jumped into it, really, without thinking too much into it, and because of that, we've been able to meet some amazing people here in New York City around podcasting just because of that willingness to say yes, so... Trust me, it will change your perspective, but just listening to this episode is not enough. You should definitely buy the book and read it. Vadim, what's the next book, the last book that we want to talk about in today's episode? 
This is the most recent book that both Sergey and I read, uh, I think as we were approaching 30 or maybe already when we turned 30 years old. And so uh, I can honestly say it doesn't matter what age you are, it's an incredible read. And it's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Now, at first, when you're going into it, I will give you a disclaimer. It is a story from a Holocaust survivor about essentially the way that he figured out how to survive through the treachery and the literal torture that was being in a concentration camp, actually several concentration camps. Of course, it's a it's a sad read. Uh, it's really impactful and powerful. But the fact that beauty can come of it and the fact that Viktor Frankl was able to then go on and create a wonderful career for himself and obviously write an incredibly impactful book speaks volumes and also was an incredible motivator for both of us, right? Uh, because most of us live pretty privileged lives. You know, we're in the city or we're in the suburbs, we have a job or we have a family, we have people that love us and surround us. And of course, there's always hardships. Sometimes we don't have all those things. But usually, we're not anywhere near the level of what people were going through when they were ripped away from their families, forced into concentration camps, forced uh, to be in freezing weather, in terrible uh, working conditions, working conditions is not even a word, beaten every single day, uh, and eventually hoping that they would die. Some people really did hope that they would die, but Victor, and the reason why his book is so impactful is he was able to have a survivor's mentality the entire time. He was in the concentration camp for, I think, what, four years, was it? Three or four years? I forget exactly how many years, yeah. but... A long, a long time. He was, a even, long if, time. even if he was there for 10 months, it, it, it probably felt like a lifetime. But when you read this book, you really start understanding what he means by finding purpose. And for him, that was understanding what his purpose would be that would motivate him to survive. Now, you might think uh, humans were innately motivated to survive, right? Our survival instincts, it's biologically, genetically programmed into us. Well, when you read the story, you realize that that's not always the case. And when you're in an, in an extreme environment, like a concentration camp, those instincts go away. And death seems like a better option. And every single day, he would find people that would be just laying there, waiting to pass away. Because that was, it was easier to give up at that point and because they, lo they lost meaning. They, yeah. they figured they, their, their family was already all murdered because they were seeing all their friends and some, in some cases family uh, being taken to the gas chambers and never coming back or being taken somewhere else. And so there was really no purpose there. What, why should I try? Why should I continue? I'm probably going to get beaten. You know, I'm freezing. I'm uh, sleeping with, uh, you know, 50 people piled on top of me. What's the point of living? For Victor, he was able to not think that way. In the beginning, his purpose was very simple. His wife was taken to a different concentration camp, and he believed that she survived. He felt it, uh, and he just wanted to see her again. He wanted to see the love of his life again. Eventually, though, that faded, and he didn't think that there was a good chance that she would survive. But there was another motivating factor for him. He was a therapist before he was taken into the concentration camp, and he was working on a book, and he had written this manuscript. But it was taken away from him, like every other possession that was taken away from the Jews that were kidnapped into the concentration camps. And so he still had these ideas fresh in his mind, and his life's purpose was now to get out of the concentration camp and recreate the manuscripts around uh, logotherapy, which is essentially the idea that happiness and fulfillment in life can only come from identifying and pursuing your life's purpose, which he ended up writing this book around and, and uh, teaching to other scholars for a long time. And so that notion of recreating his manuscript so he can bring value to the world is what kept him going, is what he attributes to survival of the concentration camps. 
Motivation, you might have heard from other people, is fickle. It comes and goes. You can't rely on motivation alone every day to be able to push toward your goals. But that's the thing that we learned from Viktor Frankl is that if you have a larger purpose, something bigger than you that you're trying to achieve, that you've defined in your mind, whether it's finishing a manuscript, whether it's getting on Broadway or starting a venture capital fund, whatever it might be, or having a family or whatever it is yeah. that adds value to your life and makes you excited about it. That is what's going to help you get through the difficult days where you don't want to do anything, where it feels like everything is going against you, where sometimes you doubt yourself. Like you, Sometimes you just wake up and you feel like, why am I doing this? Who am I to be working on this? The thing that pushes you through and that changes your mind, that negative talk, turns it into positive talk, is when you have that bigger purpose that gets you excited again and helps you inch by inch work toward it. Man's Search for Meaning is a beautiful book. It's one of the only books where I took notes and took pictures of the pages. Usually it takes away from the reading experience for me, but in this case, I wanted things to stick. Half the book is about his story in the concentration camps. Uh, the other half, or maybe a little bit less, is more technical. It's about logotherapy, uh, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. I was excited to read both the story arc and also get the details around his the psychological uh, motivations and the way that he worked with other people in the years to come. So it was a life changer for both Sergey and myself. If you have not read this book, pick up a copy. I think it might uh, impact your life significantly as well. So the three main things that we talked about today were from the first book, which is how to make friends and influence people. You want to make sure that you're not just trying to win arguments, but actually listening to others and being curious about them. Say you more than I. It's not about you. And you will get more friends and people will want to help you. That's just how it works. The second book, Losing My Virginity, really saying yes to things, even if you don't know exactly how you're going to make it happen, but saying yes to opportunities opens more newer opportunities. And finally, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It really is about finding that purpose in your life, and that's what's going to help you get through the difficult moments. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Please reach out if there's certain topics you want us to talk about. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Give it to a friend. Why not? Give us a little, be, be give nice. a little like on iTunes. I, I don't mean, know. Something. Well, whatever. Or send us, send us peeps. Peeps, like the, the marshmallow thing? I hate peeps. Yeah. Why did I even... Don't send us peeps. Uh, <laughs> send us dark chocolate-covered almonds. Ooh. Ooh, that's really nice. Ooh, antioxidants, too. Yes. Maybe paired with a little bit of red wine. Ooh, maybe a charcuterie. Pl- All right. All right. Vadim's don't send us anything, actually. Vadim's- We're not going to take food from strangers. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's weird. Of course not. Please don't send us things. But uh, do send us an email if you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.